Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Venezuela, a country that seems trapped in a downward spiral of economic decline, social turmoil and political unrest. Joining me to discuss the situation is our Latin America editor, John Paul Rathbone, and our new Andes correspondent, Gideon Long. Gideon, first, just give us a sense of what the situation on the ground in Venezuela is. How long has the unrest been going on and how bad is it? Well, the protests have been going on for around two months now. In that time, more than 40 people have been killed, hundreds have been arrested, and uh, thousands have been injured. There have been sit-ins and roadblocks in Caracas this week. And one of the things that's really struck me is the creativity of the opposition during these marches. There have been women's marches where thousands of women marched through the streets of Caracas dressed in white. There have been pensioners' marches, students' marches. And last night in Caracas, there was a march of lights. People walked through the streets with candles and torches held high in protest against the government. So there have been creative protests and they're still ongoing and showing no sign of letting up. Is there any sign yet, Gideon, that uh, that the government is cracking at all? I mean, it's been going on, as you say, for a couple of months now. There have been a few signs. There have been some criticism from within the Maduro administration, most notably from Venezuela's Attorney General, Luisa Ortega, who has publicly criticised the government. And there have been some reports of discontent among the military, but only among the rank and file, not really uh, within the high ranks of the military. So, no, there have been some signs of cracks within the socialist facade, but not many. So, John Paul, give us the background. I mean, why have things come to this very unpretty pass? What's gone wrong? Is it primarily an economic collapse? The economy is in basically in free fall. You've got triple-digit inflation, extreme shortages of basic goods. The government is perennially on the brink of default each time it has to make a payment on its about $100 billion worth of international bonds. There's a mild market panic. Where will Venezuela find the money? So you've got lousy economy, lousy economic management. You've got incredible amounts of theft. According to former Chavez ministers, of the $1 trillion windfall from oil revenues that Venezuela enjoyed during the earlier 2000s, almost a third of that has been stolen. And that's from former ministers in the government. So you've got a very bad repressive government in place. You've got a lousy economy. And then the, the spark for this protest was two months ago when President Maduro and the Supreme Court ruled that the National Assembly, the National Parliament, which was elected two years ago and is the only organ of government that is not controlled by the government, they ruled that the Congress was in fact illegal and tried to suspend it. The outrage was instantaneous and protests have been going on ever since then. Let's just dwell for a moment on that economic background because it is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I've read, I think, that Venezuela has either the largest or the second largest oil reserves in the world. For a country that naturally well endowed to come to this is amazing. And is is that simply, I mean, it sounds like it's largely because of deep, deep corruption. Corruption plays a huge role. Also, just mismanagement and inefficiency. The 
Venezuela does have the largest reserve, energy reserves in the world, according to, to BP, and it pumps about 3 million barrels a day. But oil is the goose that lays the golden eggs. And one really telling sign is that oil production is currently falling at about a 20% rate. So that just shows you it's because of lack of payment to oil suppliers. It's because of inefficiency. It's because of corruption. It's to do with bad management. So the crisis in Venezuela started before oil prices fell back in 2014. And it, the, fall in, the subsequent fall in oil prices from $100 down to about $50 has only made it worse. Gideon, when Hugo Chavez, the man who was associated with the Bolivarian Revolution, was in power and there was a deeply divided society, it was often said that, well, the people who were protesting were middle class and that Chavez still had the loyalty of the working class and the urban poor. Is that still true, do you think? I think that's changed slightly. The last big protests in Venezuela were back in 2014, and the opposition themselves admitted that one of their failures back then was their, uh, their failure to mobilise the working classes. It was generally a middle-class protest, and they have made efforts since then to reach out into the poorer barrios of Caracas and other cities around the country. Um, and that could be a key factor going forward from, from now on. That could be a key factor going forward to see if the opposition can rally the support of poorer people in the suburbs of uh, Caracas who might have supported Hugo Chavez when he was in power, but are starting to become more and more disenchanted with the government of President Maduro. And in fact, give us a sense of the, the levels of deprivation, because we're really talking about people going hungry. I mean, there's statistics about the average weight loss of Venezuelans. That's right. There have been a lot of reports of the, the number of Venezuelans who are now going hungry, Venezuelans who are having to find food in uh, garbage dumps, uh, food shortages in shops and supermarkets, uh, a health crisis as well. Many of the hospitals are without uh, supplies and increasingly a refugee crisis because many Venezuelans finding that they can't live in Venezuela are crossing the border into Colombia, into Brazil. Brazilians say that around 6,000 Venezuelans are arriving in Brazil each day at the moment. So that could also become part of the crisis in the coming months. So, John Paul, I mean, that suggests that this is turning into a regional crisis where Venezuela's state failure essentially is going to destabilise its neighbours. So what are the neighbours going to do about it? What is anyone going to do about it? What is anyone going to do about a state that is failing, clearly, and by some charges has become a, a vast criminal organisation? Until very recently, Latin America's response to Venezuela was weak. They showed the usual reluctance to criticize fellow Latin American country uh, in the same way that Middle Eastern countries have often been reluctant to criticize other Middle Eastern countries. The Organization of American States is considering expelling Venezuela for human rights abuses. Mercosur, the regional trade group that is led by Argentina and Brazil and also has Venezuela as a member, may also suspend Venezuela from the trade group because of human rights abuses. And all of this obviously doesn't change necessarily very much on the ground in Venezuela. Venezuela has to be sorted out by the Venezuelans. But it does remove an important plank of legitimacy from the government, which looks increasingly isolated internationally and also locally. And there's this surreal dissociation between high-level members of the government and what's going on in the ground. And that was really graphically illustrated the other week when President Maduro was on television announcing, in essence, that he was going to suspend elections and then danced on the stage to a salsa band. And outside, Caracas's streets were covered 
in tear gas with National Guard facing off against protesters. Now, this is all, in a way, a bit of an embarrassment, or should be, for the left in, or the far left in Europe, which includes, indeed, incidentally, the, the leader of the British Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, who were big fans of the Bolivarian Revolution and held up Venezuela as a kind of example for the world. Is that kind of strand of thinking just disappeared now? It should do. I mean, Venezuela, the people who should be most invested in hoping that Venezuela can sort itself out are the left, the traditional left. And indeed, in the beginning of the Chavez Bolivarian revolution, a lot of money was spent on social services and improving the lot of the well-off. And that was all overdue. But since then, the management of the country has deteriorated so spectacularly. Last year, for example, and this is according to official government figures, infant mortality rose by 30%. The health minister who made that announcement was subsequently sacked. So there is real no cause to support what's going on in Venezuela by anyone. In fact, the most helpful thing that people from any position on the political spectrum is to express their genuine concern and remove this kind of reactionary and very outdated response to what's going on there. Gideon, obviously the economic situation is dire, there is social unrest, but just give us a sense of how repressive the government is. Is it... Are we talking about a police state now, which which is going around arresting its opponents, or is it a bit more chaotic than that? Well, there's been a lot of debate about whether the word dictatorship should be used to describe the Venezuelan government. Um, and I think the jury's still possibly out on that, although it does seem to be coming more and more dictatorial uh, with each month. In terms of what the opposition is looking for, I think politically they have basically three demands. Firstly, elections. Regional elections were cancelled in Venezuela last year. Presidential elections are due to be held next year, and the government wants some sort of promise that they will be held or ideally brought forward. Secondly, political prisoners. The US says that there are around 150 political prisoners in Venezuela, and the opposition want them released. And thirdly, the opposition wants autonomy for the legislature, the opposition-controlled Congress. So they're basically the three, most, the three main demands. Whether Venezuela is now a police state, I think it's, uh, you can argue it one way or the other. And finally, to conclude, uh, to both of you, of course, the question that's impossible to answer, but also unavoidable, what's going to happen next? What do you think, Gideon? How long can this situation continue and how will it be resolved? Well, it will be very interesting to see if the protesters can maintain the momentum. They've managed to do it for seven weeks so far, and there's no suggestion that the protests are going to die down anytime soon. As I say, there have been protests again this week, every day. I think two things are key. Firstly, can the opposition mobilise people from the working classes and from the poorer barrios, particularly in Caracas? And secondly, will we start to see more cracks within the socialist facade? As I say, we've seen some, there have been some reports of discontent among the rank and file of the military and the National Guard, but nothing big so far. That will be one of the key things to look for. John Paul, what do you think? I got two points to make. First of all, I think this is a war of attrition, really, between the opposition and the government. It's been going on for two months and who will cave first. And there's evidence that the rank and file members of the National Guard, who are as hungry and as poorly paid as everyone else, are getting fed up. And they only keep on going into their jobs because they're forced to and because there's no one else, nothing else, no other jobs for them to do. Second point is, in the end, I think whatever road Venezuela takes next, it will pass through the army because it is the only really important and semi-autonomous institution in the country. And the army can be broadly divided into two groups. Those that are involved in corruption, gasoline smuggling, food smuggling, drug smuggling. Venezuela is a major transshipment point for cocaine into Africa and thence Europe. And the second group in the army 
are those that are so-called institutionalists who are appalled by what's going on. And they don't have the same vested stake in corruption, but they are mostly from lower ranks. Um, lieut three lieutenant colonels defected the other day to Colombia, saying they no longer recognized the government of Maduro. So all of this, of course, takes place out of view. And um, it's very hard to see which will play out more. Neither group in the army has an interest in this going on, and not least the, uh, the corrupt ones, because it brings unwelcome attention on their money-making schemes. OK, well, with that, we'll have to leave it there for now. But thank you both very much indeed. So thanks to John Paul Rathbone and to Gideon Long. Until next week, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.